0: So, friends, a very, very, very warm welcome to the Chapel of St. Mary Undercross for this Christians in Parliament carol service. It doesn't really need me to say that it's been a year rich with celebrations and historic events. Remember a certain coronation, perhaps? But it's also been a year full of turmoil and devastating sadness. And the story of Christmas brings all of these very real, very human, very raw things together. The vulnerability and the fragility, the joy and the festivity, all in the birth of Jesus Christ. And the ancient scriptures say at his birth, the skies over the hillside of a Galilean town, Bethlehem, were ablaze with light. And the promise of hope, and peace rang out. With events in the Holy Holy Land so much in our thoughts, on our hearts, and in our prayers, we turn our eyes, our hopes, and our longings to the one born, the Prince of Peace. So welcome, and let us pray. Jesus, Lord of all and Prince of Peace, Your birth at Bethlehem draws us to kneel in wonder at heaven touching earth. Accept our heartfelt praise, and in these days of turmoil and heartache, may the love and peace and hope of heaven kiss the earth once again. Amen.
1: The first reading is taken from Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and righteousness from that time on and forever. The the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
2: second reading is taken from Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 20. In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Uh, This was the the first uh, census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there with uh, to register with Mary, who was uh, pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to their firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. Uh, and there was shepherds uh, living out in the fields nearby, keeping, uh, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will, be, that will cause great joy for all the people. on whom his favor rests, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about." So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told.
3: The third reading is from Matthew Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him 好
4: The fourth reading is taken from John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone Was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God.
5: Well, he's famous for his amazing miracles, his generous-hearted character, and his ability to bring light into a world of darkness. Much less is written of his early life, and this year in particular, we focus on his origins. I'm referring, of course, to the Christmas appearing of Willy Wonka. That's this year's Christian, uh, Christmas film, if you had not noticed. It's called Wonka, and it's the origins story of Willy Wonka before he built his great chocolate empire. And in the film, he invents this suite called the silver lining, which he markets as being made of, and I quote, liquid sunlight, helping you see the faint ray of hope beyond the shadow of despair. Now like all the best marketing, Wonka's silver lining Suite taps into a fundamental human need to to escape this shadow of despair, and it claims to provide an answer. And Christmas starts in that same place, the universal human experience of the darkness of the world. Now far be it uh, for me today to pronounce on the uh, efficacy of Mr Wonka's silver lining suite to answer that darkness satisfactorily. But I'd love us just to reflect for a few moments now on the unique answer that Christmas gives to the darkness of the world. So I just want to begin by reflecting on what the darkness of the world is for a moment. In verse two of that Isaiah uh, reading, if you'd like just to turn back to it, you'll see that the reading portrays people living and walking in darkness. And darkness in the Bible generally symbolizes both corporate injustice and personal moral failure. So straight away, Christmas is very confrontational. It confronts us with the wrong in the world, but also with our own part in that. And many people in secular Western culture today I think would say Isaiah's description of this uh, world as uh, being dark is, is unnecessarily pessimistic. For example, a Christmas newspaper advert a few years ago read as follows. The meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. But really in the light of history and our present experience. Is that credible? Isaiah's words, for example, were were first spoken to a people who were on the brink of war. The people of Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, in the northern Israel of the time, were about to be overrun by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. And yet it's this exact same part of the world right now that's still subject to conflict and suffering as we're only too painfully aware of all the events that have taken place since the 7th of October. And of course, it's not confined to that part of the world either. The extraordinary statistic I read recently that 2023 recorded the highest number of conflicts in the world since World War II. Henry Kissinger, who died just over two weeks ago now, at the ripe old age of 100, famously said of international diplomacy, that every victory is only the price of admission to a more difficult problem. Another great political thinker towards the end of the 20th century was Václav Havel, the first president of the Czech Republic. And he had in-depth experience both the socialist and capitalist systems, but he concluded that neither the state nor the market could deliver the justice and the peace that we long for. Pursuit of the good life, he wrote, will not save humanity itself, nor is democracy alone enough. The human being constantly forgets that he or she is not God. In other words, the darkness out there in the world is not confined to certain times in history, or countries, or political parties. It runs Right through every human heart. And this darkness, it fractures our relationships with each other, self evidently, but the Bible also says that it's a symptom of a deeper problem that we have, that we've got a fractured relationship with the God who created us, where we live for ourselves instead of for God and for other people. So Christmas is actually the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. The Christmas message says things really are this dark and we can't save ourselves. So is Christmas just for the pessimists then? Are we left just to take the, uh, the medicine of uh, Shane McGowan, the legendary singer-songwriter of the Pogues, who also died recently? He sang in uh, one of their great songs, When the world is too dark and I need the light inside of me. I'll walk into the bar and drink 15 pints of beer. Well, no, Christmas is not for the pessimists. I have good news for you. Because, crucially, Christmas also says that a light has dawned. That's our second point, the dawning of the light. It's there in uh, Isaiah 9, verse 2 as well. And the first reason for, for any kind of hope in this light is that it hasn't come from within the world, do you notice? It's actually dawned from outside the world. It's like the sun dawning on the earth. That's the picture. You Tolkien fans out there will doubtless remember that uh, before the Battle of Helm's Deep in The Lord of the Rings, Gandalf says to Aragorn, look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day at dawn. Look to the east, and sure enough, five days later, in the darkness of what looks like inevitable defeat, Gandalf appears at dawn, from outside the embattled fortress with the light of a rescuing army. But this dawning light in Isaiah's prophecy isn't a military or a political rescue. Instead, in verse 6, do you see, Isaiah claims that this light that will dawn on the world will actually be in a person, a child who's going to be born. And yet, at the same time, no ordinary human being, one who's also going to be God somehow, because he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Imagine how baffling this must have been to Isaiah's original hearers. There's never been anyone like this in the history of the world. It was only 700 years later that this extraordinary CV began to make sense. Because in that famous reading that we've just heard from John's Gospel, the Apostle makes this stunning claim that the God who created the universe at a certain moment in history became a human being in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And, in verses four and five, that he was the light promised by Isaiah. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But what does it mean for Jesus to be this light, Well, John's answer is that light stands for life. And he goes on in his gospel to explain more about what this life is. And it's a restored relationship with the God who made us and with each other. But how does he actually make that possible? Well, as the gospels describe him, he's not just another religious teacher or political philosopher from within the world teaching us how to try and overcome the darkness ourselves. No, he comes from outside, and he overcomes the darkness for us. The Gospels describe him in various ways as our substitute. He lived the life that we should have lived for us, but he also died the death that we should have died for us when we pushed God away. In fact, his whole life and death is is him doing for us what we can't do ourselves. And at the end of the Gospels, as he dies, the, the Gospels, they actually record a supernatural illustration, a picture of this, at the very moment that he died. As Jesus died, a darkness, a supernatural darkness comes over Jerusalem. And this signifies that at that moment in the history of the world, The light of the world took all of the darkness of the world upon himself in order to bring us up out of our darkness into the light of God's life. So Christmas is not for the optimists. Christmas means that the darkness of the world is actually greater than we ever dare to admit. But neither is Christmas for the pessimists because Christmas also means that the light of the world is infinitely more wonderful than than we would have ever dared to even imagine. Jesus, the light of the world, restores us to relationship with the God who made us. And not only that, as we begin to follow him, can you imagine how his light might begin to transform our personal relationships, but also our politics in the present. Just imagine for a moment how the forgiveness of God could enable us to begin to forgive other people. Just imagine how far God came down into our darkness to serve us, could actually give us a new humility to serve other people. Just imagine how the Prince of Peace, giving up his peace, could inspire us to be peacemakers in the world. So as I close, how might we respond ourselves this Christmas? This light of life cannot be legislated into existence somehow through politics, nor can it be earned through our moral or our religious efforts. Just like any other Christmas gift, it needs to be received. And verse 3 of A Little Town of Bethlehem, I think, puts it perfectly. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Let's pray now for God's help that we might do that ourselves this Christmas. Let's pray. (coughs) Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We thank you that he took our darkness so that we might receive the light of your life, both now and forever. by your Holy Spirit, please enable us to receive him as your wondrous gift into our hearts this Christmas. (coughs) Amen.
6: joining us this lunchtime. Before we finish, can I draw your attention to a couple of things on the back page of your service sheet. In January, we're going to be starting a three-week Alpha course, which is a great opportunity to explore questions around Christianity and faith. If you'd like to know more about this, then please do send me an email. We also hold a number of weekly services in the chapel, and you'd be very welcome at any of these. On behalf of Christians in Parliament, can I wish you a very Merry Christmas. Let us pray together before we sing our final carol. Now may the wisdom of the wonderful counsellor guide us, the strength of the mighty God defend us, the love of the everlasting Father enfold us, the peace of the Prince of Peace be upon us. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with us this lunchtime and forevermore. Amen.